thank you. I appreciate that. I'm so happy to get to be here and, uh, and share with you guys this morning. I do have a question that I want to start off with, and it's something I was thinking about a little bit, is what is the second most important day in the history of the spread of the gospel and Christianity? There's a lot of different answers to that. I don't know that there's one absolute definite right answer. Some people I've talked to would say uh, the conversion of Saul to Paul and the work that he did in the church. So that day was really important. Uh, some people might say the Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and uh, came onto Peter and then they shared with the crowd and 3,000 people were added to their na- number that day. And there are other people who might think a little, a little wider and go maybe the printing press, the invention of the printing press, the most important invention in human history, people being able to read the Bible in their own language, that being super impactful and huge. And those are all fantastic answers, uh, but they don't really serve the point of my sermon, so they're not my answer. Uh, my answer is found in Acts 7 and 8, and this is the stoning of Stephen actually. Stephen is speaking before the Sanhedrin. He's making an appeal for the gospel, trying to speak through the Old Testament, how it points to Jesus, and trying to use that to share with them. And they do not like this at all, and and then they end up stoning him. Stephen is killed, and it says in uh, Acts 8, verses 1 through 4, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison, and those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Hang on a second. How is that the second most important day in the history of the gospel and Christianity? It sounds like this is a really terrible day in Christian history, and it kind of was. But look at what happens here. All of the Christians, except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And as they went, they preached the gospel with them. I sort of think about this day as if, you know, the church in Jerusalem is is one of those dandelions, little puffballs. And that event was the blowing on the seeds that scattered it all over. And how significant it was that it spread the gospel. See, it might not have felt like this was a really significant, important kind of a day to the church happening in Jerusalem at that time. It probably felt really dark, scary, painful. You know, for these people, very recently, their Messiah had finally come and been with them and been teaching them and then been brutally murdered and crucified, then resurrected, and then in just a few more short weeks, taken away again. And they've been trying to gather together and and share with one another. And now they were being opposed by their Jewish leaders, the culture and heritage in which they grew up, their own religious leaders that they grew up listening to and respecting. And they're being hunted mercilessly by Saul. But I think now we have the perspective of history and we can say, okay, I, I think that was actually a really important time in church history. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. The idea of we go through seasons of hardship, seasons of change, seasons of difficulty, but we can let God use them in really big and significant positive ways. And I think a part of that relies on our perspective and mindset through that time. There's a little while ago, I was discipling uh, a young man at a blaze, and he told me that he really didn't like change. 
I don't like when life changes. I want things to go back to how they used to be. And like my friendships with people are different. People I know are they're dating, they're getting married, and that's changing. You know, I'm trying to find out a job. Like, I just wish things could go back to how they used to be. And that's um, tough. Unfortunately, that's not how life works. Life is always moving forward. Relationships are always going to change. Uh, good things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. People are going to get sick. People are going to die. People are going to get married. People are going to move. People are going to have new jobs. Life is always changing and adapting. And at Ablaze, we have a really close relationship with that. Uh, we are primarily a college church. And so we have 13 Sundays in the fall semester and then students are gone for a month, and then we have about 13 Sundays in the spring semester, and then they're gone for about three months. So we have 26 Sundays a year. So we know that as soon as that first Sunday happens, we are on the clock. And then we have people for three to six years usually, and they'll graduate, maybe they'll stick around for a little while, but people very often move, leave, transfer, get jobs elsewhere, get married, go other places. So we know that from the first day we see somebody, we are on a clock with them because things are going to change. And so we have to, to think through that. It would be really easy to have these relationships with people, disciple these people, train these people. You know, we try to be a leadership development church. So we have people who go from, I'm just visiting and I'm just hearing about the gospel and I'm just coming to church all the way to, I'm teaching on a Sunday morning. I'm leading Bible studies. I'm planting a church in just a few years with us. And it would be really easy for me to get bummed out about some dear, dear friends moving and leaving. Happens all the time. Really close friends ending up going somewhere else, leaving. And I'll be honest, sometimes it is really tough. It's really tough. One of the things that I've had to do is shift my mindset a little bit to realize I'm not losing those people. They're not around all the time. I don't see them every day. But we live in a, in a pretty technologically generous era where we can still be really close to those people. And it creates space in both my life relationally and in the life of Ablaze as a ministry for new people to come in. For new people to come in. And so if we had never had those people leave, there might not have been space for new people to step in. And so rather than view it as a loss of somebody else, I can choose to view it as gaining these other opportunities. And I think that mindset shift is really important to us. We can take the same events and view them through a different lens, and it'll completely flip it and change our perspective. I want to look at the life of Daniel for just a second here. The Israelites are in captivity again, this time not in Egypt like in Exodus, but in Babylon. And Daniel, through being a man of God, has earned favor in the king's eyes. The other advisors to the king are really jealous of him, so they try to get Daniel in trouble. So they pass a decree through the king that says, you know, nobody can worship or pray to, nobody can pray to any other god or human being other than the king for 30 days. So how does Daniel respond to this? This is very clearly a difficult situation. You know, his form of prayer, his expression of relationship with God has been outlawed in his country, in which he is a captive, a prisoner. There's a lot of different ways 
Daniel could have responded. I, I kind of think through that. Maybe, you know, for me, I might have just said, I, you know, I can pray internally. You know, I'm First Thessalonians, I'm, I'm kind of praying continuously. I don't have to, like, make a big deal out of it. I could just kind of low-key fly under the radar. Nobody has to know that I'm praying. I don't have to make a big deal out of it. I know a lot of other people in my life who would say, no, 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 if the government outlawed prayer, I would fly in the face of it. I would organize every single day this month. We're going to pray in the streets. I don't know that both of those are either necessarily wrong responses, but let's see what Daniel did. How did Daniel respond? In Daniel 6, 10, we see, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went to his home, to his upstairs room, the windows were open towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. He didn't make any huge adjustments. He didn't wildly change his life. And not only that, we see he gave thanks to God. He gave thanks to God. His form of religion had just been outlawed in a land where he was a captive prisoner. And he gave thanks to God because that was his heart. And he was saying, I, you know, I, have, I just have to turn to God here. I'm going to continue to do what I was doing. I'm not going to fly in the face of this decree, but I'm also not going to hide anything. I'm going to continue to trust in God. I'm going to continue to turn to God. I'm going to continue to rely on him. I'm going to give thanks through all of these things. And luckily we know from the end of that story that no consequences happened to Daniel. Nothing bad happened to him at all. He didn't face any hardship as a result of that. It's definitely not how that story ends. <laughs> Uh, those advisors, it was, it was a very obvious trap, but Daniel continued to trust God. Uh, they ended up throwing him in the lion's den, much to the king's dismay. He didn't want that to happen. He did everything he could to avert it, but the, uh, the decree couldn't be subverted. And he was thrown into the lion's den, but God protected Daniel. Now, here's the problem, though. Not always, as we go through circumstances in life like that, and we trust God and we turn to him, Will he keep anything bad happening to us? There are going to be times when you trust God, you turn to God, and terrible things will happen. Loved ones are still going to die. Bad things are going to happen to us. And the mindset here is significant. You know, there have been people throughout history who have trusted in God, who have lived righteously, who have been faithful, who have dedicated their lives to God and still experienced brutal, terrible consequences, have been killed for their faith, have lost everything, have had their lives ruined. And in no way, shape, or form am I trying to downplay those kinds of hardships and just say, just put a smile on it, it'll be totally fine, it's no big deal, just keep trusting God and everything will be good in your life. That's not our reality. We do go through hardships. We do go through hard times. But when our perspective can shift to, I'm still going to trust God. I'm still going to figure out, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? I think our mindset is changed dramatically, and that helps quite a bit. Hardship was even a part of Jesus' life and ministry. We see in John 11, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, who's described as a friend whom Jesus loved, is very sick. And in, uh, in John eleven three, 3, it says he's one whom Jesus loves. In John eleven four, 4, um, Jesus even says to his disciples, this sickness will not end in death. Jesus knows how this story is going to end. The sickness will not end in death. But then Lazarus does die. 
Lazarus does die. And Jesus goes, and he's with his disciples, and he's dead. Lazarus is dead for four days. He comes, and he shares with his disciples. He tells all the people, Lazarus is going to come back from the dead. And then he's with Mary and Martha. And it says his spirit is so moved that Jesus wept. Jesus knows how this story is going to end already. He knows he's going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. He knows everything's going to be okay in the end. He knows it's going to be fine. And still Jesus wept. And I think there's something so powerful about that, about recognizing, I know how things are going to end up. I know how things are going to go. But that doesn't mean I can't be here in the moment with myself and with the people I'm with and and empathize and be relational with them and recognize, yeah, You are going through a really hard time right now. It is really tough right now. But, and I think that but is significant, in looking forward to the future and looking forward and having an eternal perspective. See, last weekend our church had a retreat on on hope, building a culture of hope without judgment, on uh, overcoming our own unworthiness and feelings of unworthiness and um, figuring out what is blocking our hope. And in this day and age, I think it can be really, really easy to feel hopeless, to let things get in the way of our hope. With the news and work gossip and drama and social media and all these different kinds of things, it can be really easy to get distracted from our hope. And what we talked about is where our focus needs to be. We have all these things pulling our focus away. And I know for me personally, I feel the most hopeless when I'm focused on all those other things. And I feel the most hopeful when I'm focused on God and who he is. We have uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that... Uh, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I've noticed that when I'm going through a change or even a hardship, if I can have my eyes fixed on Jesus, it changes my reaction to, hey, I didn't get that opportunity that I really wanted. And that changes to, oh, wow, God must have something even better in store for me. His plan must be better than my plan. And, you know, I'm going through this really difficult trial. I'm going through this hard time. That changes to, I wonder what I can learn from this. I wonder what God is trying to teach me in this. Our words have an impact on our perspective. Nothing has changed in that circumstance. But the mindset has shifted. At Ablaze, one of the things that we talk about a lot is, is this idea of replacing the word trials with the word training. If we think about the military, the people in the military who get to do the coolest and most important and significant missions are the Navy SEALs, right? They get all the really awesome special forces undercover, behind enemy lines kind of missions. But they also, to get prepared to do that, they go through the most intense and rigorous training of any 
fighting force in the history of human civilization. And at Ablaze, we try to think about, okay, if you want to be a Navy SEAL kind of Christian, if you want to have a huge impact for the kingdom, if you want to do the coolest missions for the kingdom, then you have to be willing to go through the most intense training. And we have to be able to recognize, that, okay, this situation that we're in right now is really hard. But rather than saying, oh, I'm in such a trial right now, we want to shift our mindset to being, wow, God's really training me right now. I wonder what he's preparing me for right now. Look at all the lessons that I can learn from how difficult this is. Man, I'm going through this really tough time. I guess God is trying to teach me patience or humility or kindness to people who are really hard to be kind to. That's an important lesson that we have to be able to learn. Here's the other reality. Daniel was protected from the lions. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Their hardship wasn't the end of their story. And even Stephen, who was killed, got to go home and be with God. Their hardship wasn't the end of their story. We know from Romans 8.28, says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. When we are going through these seasons of hardship, of change, of difficulty, of frustration, it can be easy to focus on the here and now and those difficulties. But I think God wants to remind us that we need to be focused on the fact that he is working all things for the good of those who love him. Sometimes he's not working all things for the wants of those who love him, the way that you want them to work out, the things that you would like to have happen. Sometimes he's saying, no, 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 you need this thing. I know you don't want it. I know it's going to be painful, but you need this thing. But how significant is it for us to trust in God and recognize, yeah, he is working this for my good. How can I think is, this is being worked for my good? How can I change my mindset, my perspective to realize this is going to end up for my good? I think we have a lot of power in our own lives and mindsets, specifically in our perspective, in how we view the situations we go through plays a huge role in how we're trusting God. Are we saying, man, it's up to me and I have to figure this out? Are we saying, wow, this is really tough right now. I don't know how God is going to come through, but I trust that he will. I'm going to turn to him. I'm knowing that he is going to take care of me through this. I don't know how it's going to look. It's a different plan than I had, but I know God is good and he's working things for the good of those who love him. So I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, which is drawing near to God, just trusting in God, living in the ways that he's asked me to. I'm not going to worry about the rest because I know God's going to take care of it. I started this message out with the second most important day in the spread of the gospel and Christianity, so I think it's fitting that I end with the most important day. Jesus has been arrested, falsely accused, beaten, abused, mocked, and he's in the midst of being murdered in the most brutal and humiliating way that the Roman Empire can conceive, and they're pretty creative. And in the middle of that time, it would be very easy for Jesus to say, wow, I just want to get through this as quick as possible. I just want this to end. Or to try to alleviate his own suffering in some way. But in the middle of that situation, Luke 23, 34, it says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He could have been focused on his own pain, his own misery. 
He could have been focused on getting out of that situation. But instead, he chooses to focus eternally. He chooses to focus on the hearts of those who are being impacted by what they're doing right now because they don't even know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. That's what he asks for. For these people who are in the midst of murdering him. He has a bigger picture that he's thinking about in this situation. He's thinking about this in the context of eternity, from the context of what does God want, and for the context of what is good for other people. He's not focused on himself. And I know that I have an enormous amount to grow in this area, and this is the example that I turn to, to change my mindset and my heart to be focused on what is eternal, what does God want from this situation, how can I focus on the things he is trying to teach me rather than the things that I want, rather than the things that I would prefer. What is God's perspective? What is his heart in this situation? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for difficulties, for trials, for training. Lord, we know these times are hard, but you want to do something cool with them in our lives. You want to help us grow in different areas. You want to challenge us where we need to be challenged and use difficult situations to do that. I pray that we would be able to have a focus on you in those times. That rather than getting distracted by all the issues that come up or by um, the different hardships that we experience, that we would instead draw close to you. God, sometimes it's really easy to get distracted by things and have our hope distracted and blocked and stolen from us, but Lord, our hope is in you. I pray that in those times of difficulty and hardship or even just change, new things, in all those times we'd be drawn closer to you, God. Have your perspective, have your heart, that you would teach us how to grow closer to you as a result. In your name we pray. Amen.